Hello, everyone, and welcome to our pre-finals edition of the podcast, It You Go That Saying. I am, as always, your host, Andrew Lewis, and joining me today, our resident football expert, Cameron McDonald. How you G'day, doing, Cameron? How you going? I'm, I'm well. I'm well. We have our eight. We had to wait until Monday evening to find out who was playing who, what order they were in. But we are ready for a eagerly awaited final system, a final series. Uh, just an amazing effort to get this season, to get the home and away season done. Oh, absolutely! Hats off to everyone, and it was getting sticky there for a while. And you felt when all the teams had to leave Victoria, and then soon after had to leave New South Wales. That <laughs> you know we were in an episode of the Amazing Race, um, <laughs> but they did it, you know, and it's. Um, yeah, it is. It's hats off because, um, you know, there's all, there's also been sections of the public that have been, you know, suggesting why is sport happening at all? Um, but as two sports lovers, I think, um, you know, we just, we owe them a, a, a great deal of thanks for um, keeping us entertained while we've been locked down. Yes, indeed. Obviously, with all sorts of sports coming back at the same time, we, I know in America, we had a Totally unique situation where the four major sporting leagues all played on the same day for the first time, yeah, as well that. as as well as Major League Soccer and the U.S. Tennis Open. So, yeah. um, greetings and salutations and best wishes to all the podcast listeners listening over in the U.S. Our thoughts are with you, and uh, without turning this political in any way, shape, or form, you know what to do in the first week of November. Um, yeah, so we had football back and, and it's been, it's been a roller coaster. few. We've had the two footy frenzies, you know, footy every night. Um, did you, uh, did you suffer from some footy fatigue during the, the two footy frenzies? Uh, well, I didn't know what day of the week it was. Um, <laughs> I completely lost touch with that. It would just be, you know, work all day and football all night. Um, I kind of loved it, but I also, what I found myself suffering from was, uh, you know, not knowing what had kind of happened two days ago. Uh, I generally am, am able to keep, um, you know, whole seasons of football in my brain um, and, and can recall moment to moment what, what's been going on. But, but in a football frenzy, it's just that there's always football happening and the round is over and you can't really... You know, it feels weird when when your team's playing again four days later to um, call that two rounds. Mm. Um, but yeah, it. Uh, oh look, I enjoyed it, but I'm I'm a complete nuffy. So, um, well, you also had the uh, added the added aspect that sort of like a early '90s video game. Every game was almost almost every game's in the same stadium, so. You know, there wasn't that there wasn't that change of of situation. Oh, we, I mean, St Kilda played all their home games after the move at the Gabriel Metricon. I don't, I, you know, I think there was one game where they played in Alice Springs, so it was all very similar. West Co- uh, Collingwood went over and hubbed in Perth for three weeks, so you got a little bit of variation there, but. I don't know if I wanted that variation to be perfectly honest. I think we mm. last time we checked in with each other was um, around around that time, and we discussed whether um, the wheels were coming off. Um, I called for a bit of patience at the time because 
um, you know, a Perth hub uh, is not an easy thing to do. Um, we'd taken care of Geelong fairly comfortably, which turned out to be extremely meritorious as the season wore on. But um, yeah, and then West Coast uh, belted us and may do so again this weekend. And then Frio, who, who proved to be a pretty handy team this year under Longmuir. Um, we were, the draw was supposed to soften up for us at that point. And then, and then you find that we're, you know, in Adelaide one week and, and struggling to get over the Crows and then um, Brisbane the next. And it was just, I mean, it's a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. So even we're, we were, anyway, yeah. <laughs> was the low point of the Collingwood home and away season the loss to Melbourne? Yeah, it was, you know, um, it's, it's been so hard to get a read on this year, but big maxi gone out. Um, and, and so you think that that brings you a little closer when we're playing our fourth game in, um, 13 days or whatever it ended up being, which was hellish. Um, you know, Melbourne aren't a bad side. They've, um, they've missed out by a breath and, and they're, you know, they end up one rung below us on the ladder, but you know, I felt I felt we were trying that day, but we just had no legs. So that that's when I felt we were a victim of the season in some regard. Yeah, I know that, and we're going to go back to him. But I know Max Barry of the Squiggle has suggested that Collingwood had the hardest draw, the the most games, uh, most games this year where they had uh, n- negative home advantage. So. Yeah, I, it seemed to happen quite a lot, and this was without wanting to whinge about it because someone was going to get the short straw. Like, mm. um, and we often we often have just the opposite when it comes to the Collingwood fixtures. Normally, pretty friendly, and um, you know, Lord knows, uh, most opposition supporters let us know about that quite a bit. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I also felt that we would often come up against really well rested teams off short breaks. There was Fair some enough. stat before. Um, before a recent game that we'd we'd been worse off against our opponents, something like eight weeks in a row. In terms of length of break before the game. Yeah, that's right. Which yeah. which just begins to tell after a while because the gap um between the best side and the worst side for a little for a little time there, um, you know, the gap between um Port Adelaide and and uh, Adelaide was enormous. But um Adelaide kind of came good second half of the year um they got a few old boys back and suddenly they weren't a pushover um strung three wins together in pretty impressive style and um it just shows you know what they all the coaches talk about it but if you're one percent off you'll get flogged and by the melbourne game i think we were probably five five six ten percent off who knows fair enough and i think believe collingwood were the last team to have well collingwood and richmond the last two teams to have the bye so you played Every week, and more often than that, right till I think round sixteen, I think was you your guys by, and then you had to win that second last game, I think, to solidify a final spot, and you managed to do that. So it kind of feels like you know that we're that the form line is fine at the moment. The eight point loss to Brisbane um, prior to welcoming back Trelaw and Dugowie, and um, a really good hard fought final style game yesterday as well. We're not the worst side hitting the finals in eighth spot, um, but we've got a tough trip ahead of us, and um, I imagine um, that'll be all she wrote. Somehow you managed to land West Coast again. In West Coast history, it seems to be that there's this great tradition of 
you know, final, great finals against Collingwood. Two draws, um, one that was replayed and one that was played to a resolution in extra time. Um, 94, when uh, Collingwood in eighth spot, but played West Coast in top spot and almost stole the chocolates. Um, a, grand yeah, fi- a, gr- a grand final, a, a, a classic grand final. Um, one of the great ones uh, for West Coast fans, and certainly for the neutrals. Um, am I missing a call? And, and there was a there was a final in about 2011, or, or there was a couple of finals in 2011, 2012, I think, which were one. Uh, yeah, I think a, a qualifying final in 2011 and a semi-final in 2012. So on the on the flip side of that coin, um, since West Coast ended the competition. St Kilda and West Coast have made the. I think St Kilda have made the finals eleven times. In nine of those years, West Coast have made the finals as well, and we've never played. Yeah, the there final. you go. And we won't play them unless we both make the grand final, which is, you know, virtually impossible. So, it's weird the way teams just end up playing one another. There's plenty of stats out there uh, around that. Um, mm. That I'm sure you could rattle off, um, mm. but yeah, there was there was another nice one that that appeared. Um, I think surrounding St Kilda, Geelong, and Richmond in the same final series. I know it's the first time St Kilda and Richmond have made the finals in the same year since 1973, and uh, they actually knocked us out in '73. So there you go. And uh, I think certainly there was there was a lot of finals appearances in the mid to late 60s between St Kilda, Geelong and Richmond, but I'm not sure if they had ever managed to all find themselves in the finals in the same year. So it's uh, it's interesting. We'll get back to finals and how teams are going and all that, but I, I, I have played on the suspense of our loyal podcast listeners too long. I know what everyone wants to talk about and everyone wants to find out the results of my, you know, my eagerly anticipated, much loved AFL player <laughs> ratings, Brownlow Medal. Now, yeah, for those give, of give you, it to him, punter. for those of you who are new to this, you take the AFL player ratings for good, bad, or indifferent, and you basically give the umpires votes. But just to the highest rated player on the rank gets three votes, the low, the second player gets two votes, and the third player gets one vote. So. No, no votes for uh, Jake Riccardi of GWS, who got a Rising Star <laughs> Award and what perhaps the rating suggests was the worst game ever played. Um, but I'll just go through the top. Now, let me just know the top nine because there's a, there's a gap between ninth and tenth. So um, in ninth place is Patrick Dangerfield on 14 votes, and he pulled the three votes against Sydney on the weekend in a very, very interesting performance. Nick Nat, eighth on 15 votes. Seventh is Tom Hawkins on 16 votes, who, who would be who would be getting my vote for AFL MVP this year. Um, tied for fourth on 17 votes of three players. Toddy Goldstein of North Melbourne, and we'll get back to him. Patrick Cripps of Carlton and Marcus Bontepelli of West Coast. In third place is the player who polled in the most games. He polled in six straight games in the middle of the season. That is Christian Petrarca with 18 votes in, in equal second, along with Lockie Neal with 18 votes. But the clear winner by three votes, and I think for the second year in a row, is Nat Fife of the Fremantle Dockers, who sewed it up with a two-vote performance in the 
in Freo's last game of the season. So, do you think it's the second year running that he's won the AFL rating Brownlow? Because that I've, would be an interesting stat. I've just got to. Re- I've actually got to write them down instead of deleting the spreadsheet, the contents <laughs> of the spreadsheet. I've done it three years, and I think uh, I think Max Gorn won it one year. Um, and uh, I, I think I've done it four years, and Dusty won the first year. So, but um, Taylor Adams in equal tenth, and Jack Steele in equal tenth with Max Gorn, are the highest rated players from our respective clubs. So, well, what I liked about that list, Punner, was there were no ordinary players amongst them. Um, so that's that's something. Occasionally, AFL ratings, uh, player ratings, comes up with you know, like for example, the Riccardi. Um, debacle. Mm. Um, occasionally, they'll they'll just you know, there'll there'll be a player listed, and that, uh, something came up on on the couch recently where it was like the best general uh, defender in the league or something, um, and that ended up being Caleb Daniel, and and you wonder about the metrics there because Daniel's a um, a terrific player, but um, doesn't do a heap of defending. And if he does do a heap of defending, the dogs are in trouble. Um, <laughs> well, you and I know about my uh, long time, long time uh, quibble about Bulldogs defenders getting lauded when they don't defend. So at least there's only one of them this year. There was a year when three of them got in the All Australian team, and no one, def- none of them defended anyone. Yeah, it it's Wood, you know, Murphy, you... and Boyd. <laughs> you need you need Caleb Daniel in your back line. For my money, the best general defender is the guy who beats his opponent first and then gives you something going the other way. Yeah. So it was even interesting to see that Jack Crisp was, I think, second in the same list because um, for mine, Braden Maynard's had a better year. Often beats his man um, uh, comfortably and gives us a bit of drive the other way. Um, Crisp more highly focused on rebound and getting up to the wings, you know? So... Um, it's an interesting one, but I will say I like that list of players and, and one that stood out for me particularly um, because I think the, the public opinion is that Paddy Cripps has had an ordinary year. You'd think he'd have needed some carryover based on what you're reading all the time um, to secure, was it equal fourth? Um, it, yeah, so he, had, he polled 17 votes, but he had 12 of them in the first nine rounds. So there you he go. did trail off at the end of the season. So. It's been notable that he's uh, he's sort of been carrying something and they rested him for the last quarter of Cade Simpson's farewell game, which I'm sure he, he didn't want to do. Mm. Um, but I think he'll, he'll, he'll get a good clean out and hopefully come back. We've been worried about Patrick Cripps as, as you know, a gun player who had to shoulder too much of the load at a pretty ordinary club. We, we hoped they would draft in such a way to, you know, help him out, I guess, with some of that physical burden. Um, the way he finished this year, he, he looked like a broken man. Mm, and he did not make the All-Australian squad today, so um, that was announced today. So interesting, interesting. But now, now you can all rest easy. You can all sleep well tonight. Now you know who <laughs> won the AFL player ratings. Brownlow medals. Well, maybe next year we'll have to expand to do a weekly podcast and read out the votes. I don't know. We'll just we'll do what the people want. So, <laughs> well, bulking um, up those three blokes for a top three um, finish wouldn't be a bad bet, would it? No, that and I know overs I, that I know you mentioned. I know we've I've mentioned that in texts between you and I, and let me just go to the go to the Dexter computer here. So Lockie Neal's a dollar twenty-five, 
So unbackable. Um, he is unbackable. Um, I'm not going to mention any providers of odds, and as always, gamble responsibly. Fife is still sixty-six to one. He's still sixty-seven dollars. So yeah, that that represents value. I would I would have him in your place bets if you were so inclined for the uh, Brownlow medal. He is in the All-Australian squad. So he's been three times All-Australian and only three times. So he's, he's had, he seems to have had like absolutely stellar years and then, you know, um, injury years. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, we are, we're living in an era of absolute bull. Um, you know, since Pendlebury got drafted, I mean, he's 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 not the biggest physically, but that that sort of six four, um, old school centre half forward body that runs through the midfield. They're absolute trucks. You know, Cripps and Fife and um, Clayton Oliver and some of these guys and um, Petrarca himself. You know, so you, and you can't pick all of them in your All Australian team. So Fife might suffer from that too. If Cripps gets a nod, maybe you're picking pace around him. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you can't fit everyone in, and you do not everybody would act. That's I mean, that's an interesting thing about the Australian team. We'll get that. We'll get to that um, in a second. But um, they don't tend to pick a team to play a game, you know. And uh, you know that midfield I, I, where they complement each other. You just pick the best six before midfielders or however many want you can fit in the seam. And it's interesting. I've seen a lot of the SEN rolling all Australian team this year. We might as well get into this now. And, uh, you know, in a year, the, the interesting things I've thought is in a year where everybody's talked about, uh, or, or certainly for the first half of the season, talked about the resurgence or the surgence of the small forward guys like Tom Papley and Dan Butler for a lot of the second half of the year, the, Rolling all Australian team that SEN published had Paddy Dangerfield in the front six, Dusty Martin in the front six, and three key forwards, and only yeah. and only and only Papley. So it is in, it is interesting. Um, Papley would look, be very unlucky, but if you if you're going to sneak oh. Danger into the side, yeah. um, you need look no further than the weekend just gone to show the impact he can have on a football match. Um, they were going to lose that game for all money. And he hadn't had an impact on the ball. That now, was for a lot of this year. He hasn't done a lot forward a centre, but he was super. That was old-fashioned footy in a lot of respects. I don't know how Geelong manufactured that space, um, but they manufactured the space. Dangerfield led into it, and they hit him on the chest, and it was just—it was throwback leading forward out of the goal square, Jason Dunstall stuff, really. They've been um, they've been the best at that this year. I think mm. sort of Collingwood had that model going really nicely in 2018, and and had a variety of strikers from the goal square. We Stevenson, Will Hoskin, Elliott, um, Josh Thomas, and Dugowie all kicked a bunch of goals um, in that in that role, and we just rotated through the goal square, um, mm. and were able to sort of um, get that space for them. But um, Geelong. You know, Geelong have just about played paddock at times to allow Tom Hawkins, as you say, um, super valuable in that role. But, um, you know, you can't beat him one-on-one, really, or most of them can't. Um, and then, yeah, throwing Dangerfield into that same role, you know, obviously plays it differently. But um, 
yeah, they've been able to manufacture that space really well. Mm. Going back to the small forward issue in the in the squad, in the All Australian squad, they've named Liam Ryan, who you know I, I don't think I'd have a problem with them being in the team. A very strong finish to the season. Tom Papley, Dan Butler of St Kilda, uh, who probably first half of the season was more productive than the second half. Um, pure small forwards. Yeah, those three. And that's probably that's it. So there's probably a space for either one of them on the ground and one of them on the bench, or mm. two of them on the ground. Um, and you know, I think I think it's you know it's actually a terrific honour to get into the forty. When you look at some of the blokes who missed out this year, and I'm sure we'll get round to um, the two biggest names and and um, most obvious misses, um, but you know, 40 is not a heap of players. Um, so for three small forwards to, to make that list is, is really excellent. And uh, yeah, I, could, I can see them picking any of them in the team, which goes to show how strong they've all been. Look, I'd probably pick Ryan and Papley. Um, I'd be rubbing them. I'd be super happy if Butler gets in. But um, having said, let's look at the... Yeah, I mean, Butler has the fewest score involvements out of the three... Actually, he has more goals than Papley, but he's kicked 27-11, and Papley kicked 26-27, and Ryan's kicked 25-16. So, yeah, similar numbers. It's, we had Papley right in the preseason predictions, just listening over our old podcast from March, which, of course, happened 264 years ago. <laughs> but um, we really liked the look of him in the, the Victoria All-Stars game, and that form carried through. So... Suddenly, pick nine for Papley um, doesn't sound as crazy as it did at the time. Um, it's it's an interesting one because, you know, we're talking about Papley and Butler and Ryan all sort of being interchangeable. You know, Butler changed clubs for a pick in the 50s last year. You know, what is, what is the appropriate value for a pick, uh, for a, for a specialist position? Spot on. Yeah. So... And what sort like, of what sort of for, pick do you spend on a ruckman, for example? And for St Kilda to um, to sort of uh, come come a calling to Richmond, who uh, just couldn't keep everybody. You know, I, I heard an interview with Hardwick earlier in the mm. year when Butler had been on a on a you know beautiful run, and um, you could sort of hear the angst in his voice um, to say that you know Butler's always had AFL qualities, but um, you know and and that exact player fits so well in their mold. Those, those kind of that mosquito fleet of guys who just pressure and tackle and um, get on the end of a couple of cheekies. And, you know, um, that they've got so many of them that, that he was squeezed out, but um, you know, that that's, that's the advantage. It's a bit similar to Collingwood's ruck situation when we had to give up uh, Jared Witts. And I thought we got murdered in that deal. Mm. Um you know that that was clearly identifying that Brody Grundy was going to play more senior footy, and and therefore, you know, you're not prizing our best ruckman away; you're prizing our second best ruckman away. Mm. Um, but it it still feels weird. Yeah, and I mean, if you're a Premiership team, Richmond, a Premiership team, and Butler played the Premiership in 2017, um, you should really be looking. You really should be every time if you've got a full list to choose from you know, injury-wise, then there's probably each week there's four or five blokes who you look at and you think, geez, I wish I could give them a game. Um, 
So whereas if you're not going very well, um, the opposite is true. Um, I'm just going to go quickly through the squad. Um, no player for Adelaide. Brisbane, Harris, Andrews, Hugh McCluggage and Lockie Neal. Um, they were all in the squad last season and Andrews and Neal were in the team. Weedering from Carlton, only Weedering. Collingwood, Taylor Adams, Braden Maynard, Darcy Moore, and Scott Pendlebury. Essendon, Jordan Ridley, who's already won the Essendon Best and Fairest, the first one to be announced. Um, from Adel, Nat Fife, Luke Ryan, and Matt Taberner. Uh, Geelong, Mark Blixavs, who's been a squad member twice. Dangerfield, who would be moving to the rarefied era of an eighth All-Australian jumper, which I think is the record without all Australian jumpers that are won through interstate carnivals. Cam Guthrie, Tom Hawkins, and Sam Menegola. No one from the Gold Coast. Nick Haynes has been nominated from GWS. Uh, Josh Battle might have robbed him of his jumper last week. Uh, Hawthorne, Jack Gunston, Melbourne, Max Gorn, Clayton Oliver, and Christian Petrarca. No player from North Melbourne, and that's obviously a point of contention. Port Adelaide, Travis Boak, who's reinvented his career in the last two years. Zach Butters, Darcy Byrne-Jones, the man with the best Jane Austen name in footy. Charlie Dixon and Tom Jonas. Richmond, Dylan Grimes, Dustin Martin, Nick Blaston. I'll, I'll get back to Nick. St Kilda, Dan Butler and Jack Steele. Sydney, Todd Papley and West Coast. Andrew Gaff, Nick Nanui, Liam Ryan, Brad Shepard. And finally, West Coast, Jack McRae, Marcus Bontempelli and Caleb Daniel. I think... So, yeah, I mean, it's always... It's a nightmare job. But for me, the, the biggest surprise... Uh, inclusion is probably Zach Butters um, from Port Adelaide. Um, mm. or, or they've had a tremendous year, but, but that's one that stood out to me a little. I've watched a bit of them play. I think he's a, a gun, but um, I don't think anyone would have minded him needing to play another good year of footy to get into the 40, um, which is always the way these things seem to run. Um, and the notable, I mean, you're going to say the same two players, I reckon. You, you, you um, paused over North Melbourne, so... Um, Todd Goldstein um, is an obvious uh, omission for a really consistent year, although for mine, he's faded as they have. Um, and Stephen May, um, who's, who's been incredible down back for Melbourne. And maybe they just felt that four nominations for a team that ultimately finished nine is is too many. Well, I mean, I think I, in the absence of a sane explanation, um that would appear to be it. Um, I mean, I think, to be perfectly honest, you probably could have thrown a blanket over four or five key defenders. I don't think it has been a truly outstanding, you know, go-to-woe key defender this season. And the season sort of probably hasn't allowed it. It's been a reasonably easy season for key defenders. It seems like the whole season's been played, you know, in Queensland at night. So not really, <laughs> not really key forward ideal situation it's no surprise that the man who's been the best wet weather key forward in the competition for 10 years is the player who's dominated the competition this year in tom hawkins um but so i'm not i'm not as egregious about the St- stephen may one you got a squad of 40 there would be very few club the very few clubs who have a list of 40 and have two ruckmen in the side so what you've got You've got Nick Nat and you've got Max Gorn, and that's fine. I'm just I'm just working on my work. Blixarves has occasionally played a minute or two in the ruck at various stages, but 
there really should be three Ruckman in the All-Australian squad. And it was the same last year when the third Ruckman was going to be Rowan Marshall. Now, Marshall's numbers aren't as impressive this year because he's had to play everywhere. But I think Todd Goldstein's not in the All-Australian team because he played for, plays for a team that won one out of the last 15 games. And they just thought, you know, and I think Zach Butters is in the All-Australian, in the All-Australian squad because he plays for a team that was top of the ladder from round one to round 18. I think that's right. And I think, you know, nobody feels more aggrieved um, by the um, All-Australian squad selection than the supporters of a team who've done nothing all year, but they but they are um, hoping um, and putting all their energy. And like, as a Collingwood supporter, I felt this with the round 21, I should say round um, 17, uh, Rising Star nomination. <laughs> I don't know if you caught this explosion. Oh, the um, Isaac Quainer versus uh, Shoal from Adelaide, who oh, got his Rising Star nomination today, by the way. Yeah, of course he did for a, for an inferior game in the most <laughs> in the most classic Rising Star. Um, you know, like it's like Adelaide have just copped on to how silly some nominations are for the Rising Star because they are so so bad this year. So like suddenly they had Lockie Shoal who played a outstanding game and they want him rewarded for that game and they can't see the forest for the trees because this is the way they've been nominating players bar round one in the rising star since time began and uh Quainor comes out and franks the form on the weekend and he's put together a very good year minus a horrific um leg gash oh, and yeah. shoal got his nod because otherwise they were going to burn adelaide um <laughs> burn adelaide down so yeah it's um it's an interesting one, but it's beside the point. Um, there are North no. supporters who'd be feeling really aggrieved by the fact that Goldie missed out, and I I feel their pain because um, he's about all they've had to smile about. Yeah, and yeah, I've been I've I've felt that pain with some pretty ordinary St Kilda teams. Um, in two thousand and fourteen, we finished last, and Nick Rewalt was all Australian vice captain, but. Plenty of credits in the bank, and probably a couple of years where he wasn't all Australian, where he probably should have been. So it was almost a almost a lifetime achievement award in the All Australia. They only had a very good twenty fourteen and a very poor team. So um, I'll throw up yeah. one more punch. Uh, linger over the All Australian squad, and I saw Swamp today mention Buddy Franklin um, and Scotty Pendlebury have been nominated in the. All Australian squad of 40, 11 times each, um, which is comfortably um, in first place. So, uh, yeah, uh, hats off to Scotty Penderbury, who, in my opinion, was probably slightly lucky this year. I would have been okay with um, with three nominations rather than four. I think Taylor Adams has been the standout um, mid at our footy club this year, and that Maynard and uh, Moore have been superb. Um, but Pendles oh. was a little lucky, but. Um, if you if you're unlucky if you're lucky in your eleventh go, um, I think that's okay. I would have thought you would have been pretty happy with Brad Maynard getting a nod. Uh, I think I, I like seeing those ones. You know where a player isn't terribly heralded and gets uh, gets a nod, and even if he's just in the squad, I mean I probably have him in my team, but um, it's just good to see that sort of recognition when there's... he's been a sneaky favourite of mine for some time in that. Um, tough as nails, um, sort of halfback flanker mold. Um, mm. Reminds me a bit of Gavin Krasiska, but just um, 
yeah, super left shoe and um, would do anything for his teammates. And and they pretty quickly become at least Collingwood um, favourites. But um, but beyond that, I think Braden Maynard's got a bit of respect competition wide um, as as a tough player, good player. Yeah, so we don't have to wait long to see that team announced. That team is announced on Thursday. We're recording this on Tuesday. So um, congratulations to all those who will get a jumper. And if Jack Steele doesn't get in the team, I'm going on a three-state killing spree. <laughs> it's been six years since this secular player has been in the All-Australian team. So um, not I, as long I, as we've I, been out of the finals, but... <laughs> I want him in the team, but um, I hope that was an empty threat. <laughs> oh, it was an empty threat. It was an empty <laughs> threat. Um, so let's, as I said, March was a long time ago, but we we stuck our flags in the in the sand, and we predicted our team. And thanks to the genius that is Max Barry and the Squiggle. If you go to squiggle.com.au, you got a you know, huge ladder predictor and all sorts of. You know, ratings of whose who's model does the best of all predicting. They've also got a thing called rate your ladder, right? And you put your ladder in, what you predicted at the start of the season, it tells you how well you did or how well you're doing. Interesting. So I've put both of ours in to find yep. out where we got. And, you know, I don't know if we're getting into in a universe. I don't know if we're getting into college, either of us. <laughs> um, so... I'll just go over the predictions very quickly. I had, from top to bottom, Collingwood, Richmond, Bulldogs, GWS, Brisbane, West Coast, Geelong, St Kilda in the finals. Then Port Adelaide, Hawthorne, Melbourne, Carlton, Essendon, Sydney, North Melbourne, Adelaide, Frio in the Gold Coast, finishing last. You had West Coast on top, then Richmond, Collingwood, GWS, both had them in fourth. Western Bulldogs, Brisbane, Hawthorne and Geelong rounding out the eight. Melbourne in ninth. Then Port Adelaide, St Kilda, Sydney, Carlton, North Melbourne, Essendon from Adelaide, and Gold Coast also in last position. Now, it gives you a score and then a, a grade of how well you did. And, oh, a what? It's reset yours. I had that set up. This is just, this is annoying. I have to do this again. Um, <laughs> There was we people just put the Kent Brockman, you know, we're having technical difficulties music. Um, <laughs> Let me say first off, if anyone had Port Adelaide in first and, um, and uh, you know, claims to be a football expert or anything other than a Port Adelaide supporter, I'll go he. It was. Yeah, that, that was okay, but I'm almost there. It, fortunately, you can just swap all these things around. It's amazing with what you can do with uh, with these sort of things now. And I am <laughs> just stretching here. It's a, <laughs> this is great podcasting. We're on live television, as Daryl yeah. used to say. Okay, here we go. Um, I think I've got all those right because I'd written them down. Yep. So, who had the better ladder prediction at the start of the se- from the start of the season? Well, it's me. So <laughs> I got 67.7 out of 100, a C plus, and you got 62.5 out of 100, a C minus. So do you know what? On ladder predictions, I reckon you take it. You take a C of any description. We both got one team exactly right. So I got Essendon exactly right in 13th, and I was one off Richmond, West Coast, and Carlton. 
And my mo- my team, this, this is going to be a recurring thing, the team I got the wrong by the most positions was Port Adelaide. Mm. And I, they're the only team I didn't have in the top eight who made it. So Port Adelaide and GWS out. You had one in the right spot, and that was Melbourne in ninth. So I that's knew it. pretty good. Pretty good going. You only you had two, which you were one off. We both had Richmond in seconds, so we both had that one off because they finished third. And you had Adelaide in seventeenth, which was one off. Um, and you had six of the eight, so you did not have Port Adelaide and St Kilda in, and you had GWS in, who I had, but I didn't have Hawthorne in. So that didn't work out so well for me. Yeah. So yeah, the Port Adelaide thing. I just listening over this week. Neither of us trusted them. And they have ended up being on top of the ladder, being the third team in the AFL era to lead the ladder at the end of every round. The other two being West Coast in 1991, who were, despite not winning the premiership that year, a truly special team. They won 19 of their first 21 games. And Essendon in 2000, who are the benchmark in terms of single season record, won everything but one game. And, you know, the, the game they lost is renowned for one of the great coaching performances of all time. Um, so I guess the question is about Port Adelaide is are they going to win the premiership are they going to be remembered in the same sort of breath or is this just a wacky season that everyone's going to put an asterisk next to and is that, is that selling Port Adelaide short I think it is I uh, first of all we have to we both owe them an apology they've been superb and they've been really trustworthy um, with uh, an aberration against uh, Geelong thrown in um, and I believe a pretty heavy defeat at the hands of Richmond as well um, in there which which obviously puts um, you know a question a slight question mark over their upcoming finals campaign where they likely will have to beat both of them to win the premiership um, they they just play really nice um, solid football I mean yesterday Collingwood tried their guts up and um, and did a lot right um, Port just covered the outlet handball superbly, um, refused to buy a balk, tackled really well, um, and found a way, an avenue to goal without Charlie Dixon doing a whole heap at all. Mm. Um, every time, the other thing they did, which it, which is probably the one thing, if you could click your fingers and sort out for your own team, it's the ability to curb momentum and um we would kick a couple of goals and, and I would feel like we had a genuine sniff that the game had turned and Port would just make a habit of getting the next centre clearance and locking the ball in their forward line or kicking a goal straight away to kind of counter a little run. Um, it's extremely trustworthy footy. It's good, hard finals footy. They've got you know, a really good on-ball brigade of, of tough midfielders um, that bat pretty deep. Um, Charlie Dixon has been super at providing a contest and is another person who, if he gets picked in the All-Australian team, um, offers a little bit through the ruck, um, certainly with his strength in, in forward line contests. Um, yeah, and their back line's held up really well as well. So we owe them an apology. <laughs> yeah, your question was if they win it, uh, will there be an asterisk? I don't think so. Um, and wanting to be completely fair to Port Adelaide, um, they actually made a habit in the early 2000s of finishing top of the ladder um, and not doing a whole heap after that. Now, very different era, very different um, coach, very different style, and up against arguably the best team 
or the best team that I've seen play the game um, in the Brisbane Lions through that period. But um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't think they'll be satisfied uh, having um, finished first on a ladder because they did it about three or four times through the early 2000s only to finally get their one flag for it. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very interesting um it's poised very interestingly for Port Adelaide right now. Um, and, and they'll know that. They'll know that if, if they can't make a statement in Adelaide against Geelong and win their way through to a prelim, um, that suddenly, you know, there'll be a lot of pressure on, on their near flawless season. They are fourth favourite for the Premiership. I saw that. $7. Yeah. Unbelievable. They are fourth favourite. And they are, you know, as I said, they've, they've led from pillar to post. And you know they've got Geelong first up, and they played Geelong at the Gold Coast when they played them, and you know neutral venue, no crowd. I just, I just think, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a form line that does that I just don't believe holds up. And Geelong have looked a little shaky over the last couple of weeks. So, mm. and you know, it's 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 incredible that. The the three of the highest ranked teams going into the first week of finals are not favourites, although I think Port Adelaide have just shortened into favouritism in that game. So, yeah, I, mean, I think I think the line is, you know, I don't want to get into too much betting stuff, but I think Port Adelaide should be favoured to win that game, and I would I would expect them to win that game. So it hasn't been it hasn't been. Good for teams that have finished top of the ladder lately, and we'll get into that in the next segment. But you know they've been they've had an inc- they've had an exceptional season that should be acknowledged. And you know they've finished on top. Brisbane have finished second. Brisbane have been essentially at home since restart. So you know they've played home games at the Gabba. They've played their most of their away games at Metricon Stadium. They haven't really had to leave Queensland. So no, and, you know, and, let's not take anything you know, away from them. And you know, they, 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 are they have their bogey team. Richmond haven't lost in Queensland since 2004. I know it's wild, it's isn't it? Incredible stat. And when you throw this season on top of it all, it's, um, it's even more impressive. Um, it, it's the exact matchup from last season, second versus third. So having said all that, I you know, last year in, last year in, in, um, in these discussions, we wondered whether Brisbane, you know, smacked of a straight set side and um, whether they'd arrived a little early and whether it mattered for them if they did go out in straight sets, as long as they sort of gave a yelp, um, you know, would, would this ultimately lead to building a better team? Um, the biggest query on them right now, although I, I see today um, that Harris Andrews is putting his name up, or putting his hand up to play in that final that's 10 days away after some aggressive rehabbing and he is massive um, for, for that footy club. Um, There's probably he and Tom Lynch are probably um, sort of running on a similar course. I don't know if Lynch is a confirmed starter or, um, or touch and go to play in that final as well. Um, But yeah, Harris Andrews shapes as a, as a big player there. Um, I, mean, I mentioned at one point that they didn't really have too many excuses. If you're going to play a grand final in Brisbane, it's incumbent on, on Brisbane having finished second to be there. Um, yeah. 
this is this is their year, even if we still think that they've got some improvement in them, and I think they do. Um, they're building really nicely as a footy club. Um, you know, they're never going to get the leg up of 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 playing the the last day, uh, the last night, I should say, um, of the football calendar um, at their home ground ever again. It's almost they're almost the team with the most to lose in the first week of the finals, which is. You know, they're a young team and everyone's talking them up and they've had another really good season. But lose three finals in a row at home. If they lose it kicking badly for goal, I just, you know, those sort of things start to get locked in. And then it becomes a real monkey on your back. And so you just think they've got the most to lose from the first week. It's silly considering, but, you know, there's a significant cohort of people out there who don't expect Port Adelaide to win. Um I know everybody, you know, Richmond are premiership favourites, but Brisbane have got to beat them at some stage. They're going to win the flag and they've got them this week. They might have to beat them again in another three weeks, but you don't want to, Brisbane don't want to be, you know, cutthroat semi-final again, having lost another final at home. And, you know, I know it's, it's been a long time since Richmond have lost at the Gabba to Brisbane, but at some stage it's going to happen. So it must be about time, I think. If Chris Fagan is going to show himself as capable of coaching in this sort of situation, this is the this is the time to pull out the the one play, the one you know, whatever the, the best shot is, um, and get them up for that first quarter and just try and punch Richmond in the chin and see what the reaction is. They must. They, to, yeah, go ahead. They must come out hard and try and get a get a jump on Richmond because Richmond will. Richmond will be steady. Richmond will consolidate, shut down, get try and get the game back on their terms. The the conditions obviously suit Richmond up there, but certainly recent Richmond, this sort of manic territory game that Richmond play, just get the ball moving forward. And I mean, it's a, it's a huge test for Brisbane, and they haven't had too many challenges this season. They've lost three games. They've got the best record amongst the final eight against other teams in the final eight. They've only lost two games this season to teams in the final eight, but they've one of the teams they've lost to is Richmond. Um, the other teams they've lost to Geelong and Hawthorne in round one. So, I've got a soft spot for teams who who uh, aren't the best kicks for goal as well. I just feel sometimes I feel like that can uh, that can turn you know, in a final series and. And and that if you can find a way to execute your best football, um, you know it's it's a way to keep the football down your end. Um, Collingwood of 2010 were not an accurate goal kicking team, and um, it very Brisbane nearly Richmond cost game, you a premiership. Well, it did, but uh, but the 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 Brisbane Richmond game earlier in the year, um, Brisbane were just racking up behinds. But I felt like um, while the result was quite skewed in Richmond's favour. There was enough there. And Fagan should be leaning into that too and saying, you know, kicking goals will be infectious as well, boys. And mm. um, there's a, there is a huge opportunity here in front of our home crowd to, um, yeah, to roll this team and set ourselves up. Go there from a, being a straight set side to a prelim side overnight. Yeah. And, I mean, statistically, there are two things in footy that tend to revert to the mean over time. And that is kicking for goal and winning close games. So you might have a you might have a decent patch, 
kicking for goal, you might have a terrible patch, and, and also you might lose a whole bunch of close games, or you might win a whole bunch of games. You know, eventually everything reverts to the mean, and you start it starts evening out, and everything ends up the same, and you win the same number of close games you win, you kick the same number of goals behind. So it's, it, I mean, as I said, I think the pressure's on Brisbane, but yeah, they should they should certainly relish that pressure. So who's up? Who 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 out there is? Keen for some footy, some final eight statistic nerd stuff about positions and all that sort of thing. So Brisbane last year were the first ever team to finish second and go out straight sets uh, under the current final eight system. Qualifying qualifying finals, the higher ranked team in both qualifying finals is uh, has a seventy percent winning record. So one beating four and two beating three. The team with the best chance to win from a lowest position historically in the final eight is eighth. It's almost a 50-50 game historically, eighth betting. And that's includes that's included some wins by teams traveling. So that has also included... So those wins have been 2003 Essendon won in Perth, 2005 Port Adelaide won in Melbourne. Uh, 2008, this one will bring a smiley face, calling a win in Adelaide. And... Where else? We've got 2017 West Coast win in Adelaide against Port Adelaide in the with the kick after the siren after extra time. Yeah. Um, sixth versus seventh is six wins 65% of the time. Um, in the first 12 years of the final eight system, sixth only lost twice, but it was the two times that St Kilda finished sixth. I just point that out <laughs> for all the St Kilda supporters because St Kilda finished sixth this year. Um Western Worlds don't mind finishing seventh, do they, from memory? They finished seventh last year and got touched up, but... We recall the yeah, other one. The, they, they, there was another one, yes. Um, funnily enough, they've, they've, they've never finished higher than sixth in, under Luke Beveridge, so they've never been a dominant home and away team, never top four. Semi-finals and preliminary oh. finals, so semi-finals... Qualifying final loser versus elimination final is 80%. Win 80% of the time with a lot of those elimination final wins happening recently. Preliminary final, same uh, same percentage. Uh, qualifying final winner wins 80% of the time. And the grand final is generally a coin flip between the favourite and the outsider. When we mean favourite, I mean the team um, is... The, in the grand final, lowest ranked team, except when semi-final winner plays qualifying final winner, then the semi-final winner is the outsider. So once you get to the grand final, it doesn't matter. But so the outsiders last year, both the qualifying finals were won by the by the outsider. Collingwood won from fourth, and Richmond won from third. Um, and both elimination finals were won by the favourite, but they were both interstate non-Victorian teams hosting Victorian teams. So. If you're still awake after all that. <laughs> well, I was going to say, with after all those stats, you must have clearly defined um, the premiership winner. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's obviously Collingwood. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, through the first few years, it was a major eighth beat fifth four years in a row in the mid-2000s. So, and five out of six years. And then, so, it, trends and things like that, and sometimes it's dumb luck. So... And West Coast are the only team to under the current final eight system to have beaten the same team in the same final series twice. And that was two years ago when they beat Collingwood twice. Mm, that was great. Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> not for you. 
The other four times it's happened where two teams have played each other in the finals, the team that won the first final lost to the team that they beat in the grand final. So Yes, I recall one of those as well being great. <laughs> yep, that was 2003. It so, was. I mean, the more important rule is if Collingwood play a team twice in the finals, then it will be bad for Collingwood at the end. What are the stats on Collingwood playing in grand finals, punter? Because I'm having a great night. <laughs> lots of lots of losses. What's the what's the what's the stats for St Kilda playing in grand finals? It's uh, you know we're normally a cricket training on the last Saturday in September. <laughs> um, yeah, so thought we'd just now that we've got that out of the way, I thought we'd quickly go over the teams that aren't playing anymore. Um, we touched on Adelaide before. They lost thirteen in a row, then won three in a row. It's weird the way that happens, isn't it? Insane. And they beat two of those wins. One of those wins was actually sorry. All of those wins were against teams that had a chance to make finals when they when they beat them. I think was their first win against no, the first win was against Hawthorne. Sorry, and obviously Hawthorne were toes up. But um, their second win were against GWS and Carlton, who both Mm. both could have made finals um, at the time that Adelaide beat them. So. That, you know, it coincided, that, <laughs> it, um, it coincided as, as we said earlier, with them, you know, getting some of those big hard bodies back, you know, um, sending Rory Laird into the midfield and, um, you know, suddenly Laird crouch and crouch um, is pretty handy. R- Riley O'Brien doing some some good things. Um, I had a Adelaide, um, whether this meant, you know, he, he had <laughs> grounds to be like cautiously optimistic. I said, well, it's nicer rolling into it, your next preseason with those three wins under your belt. No question for everyone in the footy club. Um, I'm still of the opinion that they're going to be in for a little bit of pain yet, um, despite the fact that they'll uh, get a nice boost in, in the draft. Um, GWS going poorly, uh, having some say in that as well. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, it's a huge fill-up, uh, you know, and just would be hideous to have a, a winless team, um, you know, so soon after being a grand finalist and, and, you know, all the talk of that preseason camp and stuff like that, you know, um, maybe that convinces one player to stay on the list, um, you know, rather than request a trade, who knows, but vibe is everything these days. Mm. I mean, I think they're going to have a pretty good uh, draft hand. They've obviously got pick one and pick eight or pick, yes, pick, pick eight, pick nine already. So two top 10 picks, they might add a third, before it's all said and done. So that's interesting. One of the teams Adelaide beat that we just talked about was Carlton. Um, they just they just seem to be in the same spot as they always are. And they tease, like they perform well for a couple of weeks and then they sort of give it all back. And look, I think, I think they found value in how they got Jack Martin and that that was a good pickup, and I think they've probably added some more talent. But you've got to make that real at some stage. They've got to start. When was the last time Carlton won a game when they were the overdog? Yeah, it's a good mm-hmm. question. And the Carlton Collingwood game this year, you know, that was their game. That was their yeah. game to kind of stamp their real arrival, and we were ripe to get beat that day. Um, and uh, they just couldn't do it. They barely scored in the second half, and um, we just uh, we kind of waltzed away. Um, mm. 
They're a strange one, Carlton. And, and if we're going to talk about vibe, well, you can lump Carlton and Essendon into this chat together because the vibe is horrendous. Carlton's yeah. just slightly better than Essendon's, but we're, we're talking about clubs that, uh, you know, have, have been through insanely dramatic moments in their history um, that don't really compare to any of the other teams, any of the other 18, really. Um, Essendon and the, and the, the scandal, um, you know, goes without saying, has, has ripped at the fabric of that club to the point where I still hear in the, my Essendon supporter friends this kind of um, denial when they look at the at the names on the paper. They go, there's so much talent there. And I'm like, it just, it doesn't allow for the post-traumatic stress disorder that pro- some of them are probably feeling from a year out of the game. None of them are as good or or and their journeys could never be as good or as linear as they appeared to be prior to the scandal. I, it, it's, I, it's impossible. I would. I. I, I don't. Uh, I certainly don't agree with that assessment of Essendon. If you know if that assessment belongs to Essendon supporters, then they are kidding themselves. And you know, like they, you know, you can ca- Essendon supporters come at me because I'm 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 on the record about how I feel about the football club, but. I mean, I, find, I figured it out on the weekend. I was watching the Essendon Melbourne game, and you know, Melbourne had glimpses of brilliance in that game, and certainly enough of them to win a game they had to have. Um, but I figured out Essendon. I mean, everyone talks about and has talked about for a long time the lack of A graders at St Kilda, but Essendon have a very, very middling list. They have a lot of players who people like to talk up, and you know. You look at that midfield, and it's, it's there's a there's a lot of good players on there, and no really great ones. And there's been no next step for Zach Merritt. There's, you know, I, obviously they missed Heppel for most of the season. Um, Dylan Shields seems to lack impact in how he gets the football. That's the exact opposite of how I remember him at GWS where he was a most impactful player. He was the loud 20, and now he seems to be the, the silent 35. I think we kind of agree with one another. I think mm. I think McGrath is going to be, a, and so it seems to be one that's happy to sort of put them on his back and um, and get it done. Um, but if, but you know, when, when it all went down, you, you, you would look at that list and say, you know, Danaher was 100%. Uh, on on track to be could have been anything at that stage. Um, Hooker and Hurley um, and Heppel and um, and some of these guys that you know if they haven't come on to be the A grade versions of themselves, and this is why Essendon supporters are in denial. Uh, they looked like they would, and then everything at that club went tits up, and the vibe has never improved. And the other thing that's worth commenting on is that I can see Essendon lending from I think we've spoken about it in the past but I can see them lending from the Richmond playbook of you know let's have a have a laugh together at three quarter time and um you know there's been some really publicized um incidents where they've been down by 10 goals and they're having a laugh in the huddle or um or Myers last year having the shot from 65 out to to win the game against Sydney I think it was and having a wink at Heppel and um you know a smile when he shanked it and you know that they're borrowing from the Richmond playbook, and they brought in some Richmond assistant coaches, and 
you know, it's clear that they're trying to manufacture a vibe, but, you know, I, I've never been a big fan of just flat out, flat out copying um, other institutions. Um, and, and it just, it feels really um, fake. You know, I don't know if I, if, if I was Essendon right now, I would appoint the, the, the bloke captain who was most likely to run through a wall and drag everybody else through too. Um, for the longest time, I thought that was Hurley. Um, I don't know how his body's going. I don't know if he still wants to be at the club. Um, but he was he was that that angry A-grade backline player for the longest time and um, to me represented um, the club that Essendon had to be to sort of push past it. But I've heard Essendon people say that what they turned out the second half of this year was less competitive than the year when they were fielding uh, a reserve side, essentially, mm. um, yeah. which is just so disheartening if you're if you're an Essendon person. But I lump Essendon and Carlton in together, and Carlton are just sort of ten years further along, or probably even more years further along from the John Elliott um, salary cap blunder that cost them draft picks and um, and sent them similarly spiraling downwards to be a, you know a club that just isn't really relevant. Um, you're right, and uh, you're right, and I was just going to say when I was growing up um, in the '80s, uh, Geelong, but you know, but before Malcolm Blight arrived at Geelong, just generally, Footscray and Geelong would finish every year somewhere between sixth and ninth, at, in a twelve-team competition or a fourteen-team competition. You know, they'd win nine or ten games every year. You didn't really want to play them on their deck, but you didn't mind playing them on your deck. Um, and that's where Carlton is and are right now. They're not, you know, they're not. You don't change the channel to to. Oh, Carlton's on the television. I think I'll give that. That'll be a good watch. And Essendon are probably not as good of a watch as Carlton at the moment. So I don't yeah, know. They, I don't. They don't need to turn around. The amazing Essendon stat is they haven't won a final that Kevin Sheedy hasn't been coaching them in since 1968. Yeah. So. Is it is the problem with Essendon that the you know that the success that was built at Essendon through the eighties and nineties and the two thousands because they essentially became the Kevin Sheedy Football Club and not the yes you know is there an Essendon identity or is it is it entire is the successful Essendon identity entirely attached to Kevin Sheedy being in charge was he just the, was such a first force of personality that that he just drove that so he, he's a huge he's a huge personality but i'm not subscribing to that necessarily i think that essendon have an identity uh, or have had an identity and i think that's what i'd be spending the off season re-establishing really 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 clearly because i've been a real kind of smiley football club for a little while essendon and, and i don't think they've got too much reason to smile fair enough i think Fremantle have got a bit of a few reasons to smile they they seem to have found a coach, they seem to have found a, a, a system um, to defend. They they need just to work on a few things, and they just need a few players to get another twenty games into them. Spot on. I mean, they're they're, they're one team outside the outside the eight that just takes a heap of positives out of this year. The continued development of um, Chera and Brayshaw um, to sort of um, free up Nat Fife and Michael Walters, um, who both miss, both missed chunks of football with injury this year. Um, you know, the the continued development of, of Luke Ryan down back, who um, just got a 
All Australian squad nod. So terrific footballer. Um, forward of the ball, Matt Tabner gets an All Australian squad nom, which is you know there's probably I I I don't know if he if he leaps out as being that um, the guy who's done it you know over and over again, but he's had a very consistent year. There was a stat there for a little while where he was the one guy who'd kicked the goal every game this year, um, up until very recently. Um, he's he's been very consistent and and has and has taken a step under Longmuir. So yeah, like. Uh, they can get Hogan on the park for a full season and get that sort of get the forward line working. They've got, they've got the cattle. It's just it's just about getting them all at the same time and getting them working together. And forward lines, forward groups need to play together. They just need to keep playing together. And that's one of the advantages Geelong has is, you know, everyone who runs through that forward line has played a ton of football with Tom Hawkins and they know where the ball's going to go. They know what he's going to do, you know. They know what's going to happen when Dangerfield goes forward. So it's predictable. Absolutely. And uh, Frio, Frio should. Uh, they look like a team that will just continue to take steps. I feel a little mm. bit the same about, about Sydney in some ways, who were a real nuisance factor in they the found a couple. of the year. They found um, a couple. Mick and Ernie looks like an absolute gun. Yeah, and, real and smooth, he, isn't he? And he enjoys it too, doesn't he? He's going to get up some people's noses. So... Yeah. Exactly what they need because they've been, yeah, you know, well, better or worse, before and and to certain extent after Franklin arrived, have been tagged as being a Dow team. So, you know, to have someone with that personality, they moved McCartan back and he's looked really good. So, no, I mean, they, I would a lot be of losses, narrow losses. You know, like uh, really, like the the weekend was the perfect example. But you, like they got beaten by that Dacos um, freak goal against us. They've they've really showed up this back half of the year, and they've done so without Isaac Heaney, arguably their best player, without Buddy Franklin, really at any stage, um, missing uh, JPK for you know huge amounts of um, of the year. So. You know, and and we spoke um, in the in a previous podcast about um, how much value there was um, in the skipper fronting up and um, and continuing to play with his bung hand. Um, I think that it it probably shows that um, what a what a great footy club they are, um, and and that they're completely dissatisfied with winning five games this year, and they're going to um, bounce back with those green shoots that we've seen. Um, you know, and if they if they do start round one next year with um with Buddy and 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 Heaney back in the side, um, they they won't be down for. I, I I think they lost on the weekend because in the last ten minutes they just couldn't find a system goal. They couldn't find you know kick to lead, get shot on goal. So, and if if you can't do that, then it can be hard to get a goal when you really need one nowadays. So. I'm 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 buying Sydney. Yeah, absolutely. First time they've missed finals two years in a row since ninety four, ninety five. By the way, um, which says something of the success of the of the footy club and the culture because they did it for a long time through the middle of that period without any sort of draft hand. So, yeah, spot on. Mm. Cameron, tell me why this year's. Gold Coast swoon after in the last twelve rounds is different from every other one we've ever seen. Uh, I don't know if I've got a definitive answer for this one. Um, is 
I just think they are <laughs> um, a good answer. Um, they haven't been blown away terribly often. I'm just staring at them now sitting here, five and a half wins, um, percentage of 90, um, which is uh, pretty fiercely competitive um, in that um, sort of 11 to 18 kind of range. Um, yeah, I've just seen enough. Uh, like, again, it, it didn't happen every week, but I saw a lot from Jack Lukosius, um, you know, uh, you know, even if we go as far as to say, like when they were flying, they were doing so um, with, yeah, we talked about hyperbole and, and about um, the kind of sensation that was Matt Rowell in the, in the first chunk of this year. I think that nothing was more 2020 than Maddie Rowell coming up against Geelong um, when they looked like they were a, a something of a show in that game um, and bunging his shoulder in the, in the first couple of minutes when the whole football world was just so focused on that contest and, and on Rowell's, you know, I think he polled three perfect tens in the coaches' votes to the point where, you know, you, you couldn't actually um, miss him. You know, like I felt terrible getting caught up in the hype machine, but I just can't wait to see him play footy again because he's um, he's a brute, he's a he's a leader, and he's got a sixty meter gorgeous drop punt on him, and, and he kicks him off both sides. So it, it's as exciting a first few games as as I've seen, um, and puts pay to the kind of as good as I think Sam Walsh is going to be. I think I think Matt Rowe is going to be a lot better. So. Um, yeah, it, maybe that's why, because um, he'll he'll be back um, with a head of steam, and he's you know he was he was in the coach's box for a lot of this year. They just they love this man. I think Stewie Jew's a good coach too. Um, yeah, they they're not getting slapped, and it was a year where we had them. We both had them finishing last. We we had a big question mark over Adelaide, but we both had them finishing last, um, and they didn't. Um, so they're tracking all right. I I agree. <laughs> I was playing devil's advocate. I'm not I'm not picking the finish last next year. Um, I can think of two team, three teams off the top of my head. I think I'll have I'll have behind them. Um, we both had GWS finishing fourth, and yeah, you know, I think Jared Whaley might be the only one who's hazarded a guess. But there's a general feeling that the 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 nature of the season got to them. They win their shells, they got dour. And I I am afraid it's more fundamental than that. That they went from they went very quickly in their list build from the youngest team in the competition to the oldest team. Teams historically in the last 35 years don't dare to recover from a, a grand final performance like that. They've got at least one pretty good player out the door already, another Bill, you know, another foot soldier out the door. So that's Williams and Core. I, I, I had a sneaking suspicion the the first crack at the premiership for GWS is over. It, it'd be such a, you know, some again some of the hyperbole, but I bought into it when you looked at that list and the sheer amount of first round talent they had at that footy, you know, in those early years and and still now really, um, they've been able to lose players of the caliber of Taylor Adams and, and Adam Trelaw and Dylan Scheel and um, 
you know, like the list goes on really. Most of them are at Carlton. Um, but um, <laughs> The good yeah. ones are in other places. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, like, you know, like serious top end talent. Um, I'm not as strong as you um, that they can't recover from this. I think the the now that you look at it, their their performance in round one against Geelong, um, when we didn't know how impacted by the grand final GWS were going to be, um, and when we didn't know how good Geelong were going to be, um, and both of us didn't have Geelong ranked super highly, but thought they'd spend a lot more time down at Cardinia Park, they've ended up having a really great consistent season. And GWS have gone the other way um, to the point where they never really looked likely. It was just that we knew they were GWS and we knew that if they ever clicked, um, that they're insanely dangerous, um, that they've got all the pieces to kind of make it happen. Um, you know, you think back to last year um, and you could probably go back and listen to our podcast pre-finals um, when the, the general feeling was that they were going to get smashed by the Western Bulldogs and then just over the pre-finals by the mood shifted. And we spoke about that in the podcast because GWS were going to, you know, for whatever reason had, had got their mojo back and they absolutely smoked um, the Giants. And so smoked the Bulldogs and um, were really physical with Bontempelli and produced a sensational finals campaign, really to knock off Brisbane and then and then Collingwood without some of their stars um, ultimately to get blown away in the granny. But, you know, you rewind to getting smashed in the snow by Hawthorne, you know, to the tune of 80-odd points. Um, you couldn't dream that GWS were going to uh, make a grand final run. And so we had that in our brains and thought, this is just a, a battle-hardened, solid finals team who've won finals year on year. Um, and at some point this year, they're going to get it right. Um, I don't worry about their playing list too much, but I, I am a little bit concerned about, um, you know, I, I can put an asterisk on this year because it's 2020 for GWS. Um, I heard uh, John O'Brown say last night that he wondered whether they came back for um, round two in the same shape that they left round one in. Um, and, and where that might have been the biggest failing of, of Coniglio's leadership um, this year was sort of not pulling them all in and making sure that they were, they were working, um, you know, and not taking anything for granted. Um, and that's where, um, you know, we spoke about the experience lists were going to be the ones that handled this the best, and they're still a relatively young club. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just a little bit worried about, about Leon Cameron, um, you know, they, they, they were playing pretty weird dour chip chip football when they have the capacity to be so breathtaking with the way they move the footy. Um, and then ahead of the ball, um, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg, but Jeremy Cameron's had a shocking year and, and might be on the way out himself. Um, look, they're an interesting watch. I'll, I'll grant you, but I suspect they'll still have, um, enough talent to to give next year a really solid crack, and there'll be one that I think uh, you know a lot of experts will be saying could finish um, as high as fourth next year. Um, when you just literally look at all the teams on paper. Fair enough. Their best player in their last game, the one against St Kilda, which they had to win to have any chance they passed. The best player that night was he Shaw. 
So for whatever that's worth, but there's a guy who might not play another game of AFL football and he's a halfback flanker and he was your best player. Their last um, six rounds of the year were, were absolutely atrocious. Essentially, that they had finals on the line. Like for them to throw everything at St Kilda, it, it should have been obvious that they wouldn't do that because <laughs> they had an opportunity to shore up a finals place week on week on week, and they couldn't get it done. I think I think if they had they were they were reasonably fortunate to beat Essendon in the middle of the year, and if they hadn't have lost that if they had lost that game, I think we would have come to the conclusion a bit earlier. I don't yeah, think that's I, right. I think much else would change. Who's closer to a premiership, Adelaide or Hawthorne? Oh. <laughs> um, that's a good question. Should we throw North Melbourne in the mix as well? No, they're probably closer, aren't they? Um, they, they delisted 11 players. I know. And they've just announced, you know, I'm, I'm, we won't try and we won't, we won't keep our powder dry in case someone comes for Magic Door and we can squeeze a third round pick out of him. They're just delisted. We'll just wait until this lodgement and then we can get them for nothing. I mean, that's just, you know, the, in terms of making a statement, that is that is certainly one of them. It is a yeah. statement. It is a big statement. I, I, Madge was the one, wasn't it? Where you, I mean, maybe it was just our, our heartstring. That was brutal. And, what did they give up a pitter two years ago and now he's gone? That's right. And they and this is without mentioning um, Pollock and and Ben Brown, who they must feel they've got currency for, mm. um, and another six or so that are out of contract. Um, they're in a really interesting place, North Melbourne. It's the hangover from um, the era where they just had so much experience and refused to get rid of half of it. Um, yeah, they're they're in a spot, and you know, I think ultimately in the question you posed. Um, if we're throwing those three teams in the mix, I'll say Hawthorne because they've still got Clarkson. Mm. Um, uh, here's the thing about North Melbourne, though. In the end of 2016, you know, they won the first nine games in 2016 and everyone thought that you know, just they have topped up. They've made the last two prelims. This is the year where they're going to have a crack. And then it just didn't happen. And they decided to cut those four old blokes loose at the end of 2016. Harvey, Del Santo, Ferrito and Petrie. And that obviously decided 2017 we're going to rebuild. And then 2018, they're really competitive. And they they just they got they got the eyes like sources. And you know, they've always got this money to float around. You know, they're the name, they're the club you throw into any sort of player movement rumor. They're into everybody. Um there were no there were no cornerstone players that they were bringing. Who they brought, they brought in Aaron Hall and Polak and I'm 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 missing one and Pittard. Uh Pittard's gone. Um I think Hall's one of the players who's out of contract. Um Pollock is free to almost free to a good home. Um and they were all players that you you sort of felt could um benefit from being in a really, really good team. Yeah. Um as we'd seen Pollock sort of had some really good years um um with good teams, but yeah, they're not. They're you know, if you had to come up with a word for all three of them, you'd probably say flaky. Yeah, um, and and that's how it's panned out. But they needed outside run, you know, and that was that was the assessment. But they're building in twenty eighteen, and they had a really competitive year. And some, you know, sometimes if you get there a little bit early, you know, there's the things aren't always linear. Um, but they don't. They can't. 
they can't. Well, first of all, they can't get the last two years back, where they've moved on from a coach, and then again, oh, we've got this new coach. We've won more. We've won more games than we've lost under the new coach. So let's again, you know, push our chips into the middle of the table. And you know, not only can they not get those two years back, but there's there's players on that list for whom it'll be really important that they'll never get those two years back. And you know, the list of the eleven players they've delisted. You know, as a, a, the uh, many times already aforementioned Pittard, but guys like Paul Ahern and you know, highly rated as uh, you know as they came into the club, and they just haven't been able to get them going, and that that's because you know these two years have been have ended up being a waste for them. They and now that now now they they start they start. I think I can't remember exactly what the trade is between Melbourne and North Melbourne, and who's got who's picked this year or what, but. It's just North Melbourne seem a long way away from it. Hawthorne see a lot seem a long way away from it. But they have Clarkson. But at some stage they won't. Um, it, you know, it, it seems like Adelaide were as far away from it as you could possibly be two months ago. And now you think they might be in a better spot than those other two clubs. Yeah, I mean, God, it remains to be seen, but I, I don't, I don't want to be um, at any of them. The issue Hawthorne has is Clarkson's on the record of saying he doesn't, he doesn't believe in the draft. So Hawthorne, Hawthorne have lost their last four finals. Um, would you rather lose a semi-final having won the final week before, or lose a semi-final having lost the final week before? Well, they've done, they've done it twice. The two times they made finals and. I there's I don't see a way back to top. You're sort of hoping that you catch lightning in a bottle and you win a you win a flag in a way that the Bulldogs have. So I think so. I don't know. Yeah, all those clubs. Very interesting watch. I don't know. I don't know, but I, I do think um, you know that there, there's little there's little players on on that list that can go either way. Do we ever see the best now of of um, Jaeger O'Meara? And and if he's playing alongside Tom Mitchell and they're up and about, and, and Clarkson can solve their kind of ruck dilemma where he's got Ben McAvoy playing at centre half back at times, and John Segler, who you know is a journeyman, not a not a number one ruckman. Um, yeah, like can they sort of sort that out um, and then get something happening forward of the ball? Um, Sicily out for all, and next year's a, a heartbreaker. This is it's an it's an indictment on, and this is not necessarily Hawthorne's problem because you've got Segler and McAvoy. McAvoy is about to go into his fourteenth season of AFL football, so mm. you know the clock is ticking. But it is an indictment on some of these teams that don't have a don't have a ruckman who's up to scratch, like GWS, that somehow St Kilda have got Rowan Marshall and Paddy Ryder in the same team. That's, I mean, thank you. But you know, some of these teams can't—they can't figure this out. Um, Absolutely. You know, and Richmond seem to have a situation where they—you know—they can find—you know—they walk down Punt Road, and the next six foot six bloke they run into, they turn into a premiership ruckman. Um, <laughs> Port Adelaide have found one in Laddams, um, who appears to be a pretty, pretty good around the ground. Follower type Ruckman, um, West Coast have got Tom Hickey sitting in the stands for most of the season, and and Oscar Allen, 
you know, playing a, a minor role. But GWS, at the end of the season, were playing Mumford ahead of Jacob. Jacob just pulled the pin. They might not have either of them. I mean, just go and get someone. And, and you know, everyone seems to think that the reason, if Geelong don't win the premiership, the reason they're not going to win the premiership is because of their ruck. Um, I just, it's just, it, it baffles me because of this sort of goalkeeper type situation where everyone can have one and no one can have two. Brisbane are going to need a ruckman, although they might have, you know, they they might have found it. The guy who made his debut against us, who I can't remember his name, uh, um, yeah. looked a good sort, you know. He did. Um, Essendon have found one in Draper. Fremantle have certainly found one in Darcy, you know. Teams have got them. Gold Coast have got one in Wits. Um, you d- they don't need to be, they don't all need to be 2019 Brody Grundy, but. Surely there's more than 10 of them. And, you know, it's not, it's it's poor list management, I reckon. You know, when one of them is on the market and he ends up with a team that have already got one of them. So. Yeah, we spoke about, um, we spoke about Sheedy earlier and I read an article from him where uh, he, and, he and Mark Williams had um, sort of pleaded with, uh, the recruiting teams to pick up Brody Grundy in that draft mm. when they had when they had picks one through seventeen, and and Grundy went eighteen, and they just for whatever reason and and some some list managers clearly feel this way about Ruckman, you know where they just they don't put any value on it, um, but it ends up being such a huge advantage, and even to see you know. Brody Grundy slightly hobbled this year, but get pants by Nick Nat in that game where West Coast won by 10 goals. It was the most beautiful dis- display of Ruckcraft. And um, he killed us. You know, it's it's so valuable. Well, he did gonna... the same to us. You know, yeah. talked up our Ruck division, but Nick Nat, I mean, they won that game with five blokes. So... They can do that, West Coast. But yeah, yeah. he's he's really special. You're not going to find the Nick Nat. Um, but you've got to find someone so that he doesn't absolutely walk all over you. And GWS continue to invest in, you know, 33-year-olds. Mm. Um, they've Carl- got all these great pieces elsewhere. And, and in theory, they could, yeah, Carlton, say it. Tom DeConey. Yeah, Carlton are another team that seems to have, I mean, hopefully they found one and Cruz has just retired and, you know, he, he didn't get a decent run of it in the second half of his career. But, you know... How many blokes have they gone on it through over the last 20 years? Barnaby French, Kane, Kane Ackland, you know, all the way to Mark Pittnett, you know, um, Andrew Phillips. Uh, I mean, I, I could I could look up the names. There'll be some, you'll be like, who the hell is that? And they would have played 40 <laughs> games in the ruck for Carton over five years. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, it talks to a lack of patience too, you know. So, Definitely, and we know that. I mean, that's that's the other thing, is that you get clubs who who play it patiently and think, you know, because the, the strategy on drafting Ruckman was clearly in a weird spot when Grundy got drafted at 18 as a yeah, but, generational Ruck talent. Like, uh, you weren't picking guys in the first round because the premier Ruckman of the previous generation and your Sanderlands and Cox and these guys came from the rookie list. Um, yeah. It clearly informed the list management. If you take Danaher out of the equation because he was a father-son and then, you know, he wasn't on the market, that was essentially a two-player draft. It's Grundy and the bloke GWS, GWS took with the first pick, and that's Whitfield. GWS, more than any other club, considering their situation at the time, could have made a pick and just warehoused a guy 
for three or four years to let him develop, which is not how long Brody Grundy took to look the goods. He looked pretty good for a ruckman pretty early in his career. I mean, and you've got Sheedy and Williams at GWS, you know, saying, you should draft this bloke. Well, maybe they should have drafted him, you know. Maybe so, they should have. Because, you know, seems like it's easy to find a bloke like Whitfield, as good as he is, then that was my, that was my, that was the incredible stat for the year is apparently Whitfield, you know, if you look at the statistics, is the, in terms of most improved performance, is the best wet weather player in the competition. There you go. So, I love anyway. Whitfield. But was it, what, who was number two? It's the bloke who ended up going to, I'm going to look, I'm going, O'Rourke, wasn't it? Yeah. O'Rourke. So, Whitfield O'Rourke, um, that, I know that it's not an exact science, but take Brady Grant. Let's go down. Rock, scroll, link down. Yeah, Rock second, Plowman third, Tumpus fourth out of footy, Stringham five, McRae. Oh, okay, maybe there was more than a two-player draft, but because McRae's very good, Stringer, Ollie Wine seven. Okay. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. Oh, there's players there for sure, but um, yeah, you know, it shows that no, it doesn't really. But really, you want to hit if you've got picks that high. If um, if Collingwood had a pick that high, I would feel very confident wandering into the draft. And even if I'd never heard of the player when Derek Hine read him out, he would be um, a very good player and have yeah. an impact. By the by the way, Whitfield, Danaher, and Grundy are the only three from that draft who've made an All Australian team. So, geez, McRae's probably due a jumper, isn't he? I think he's in the squad. So that might change in 48 hours' time. Mm. One more team out of the files before we go, get to a quick hit preview of the files at the whatever seven-hour mark of the podcast so far. Um, <laughs> we can cut that 10 minutes where we had to reload the ladder predictor. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to pull the theme that the, the famous uh, Kevin Butler pause for think music. Um <laughs> Always controversial, always cranky, whatever it was he used to say back then. <laughs> um, did Melbourne get a pass? Um, I guess so, because there's that 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 group of teams that you lump into six to twelve, and they they didn't all finish six to twelve, by the way. Yeah. But, um, but Melbourne were in there. But again, you know, their destiny was in their own hands on the way home, and I believe they have a top eight list. I believe that. Um. I think the pieces that they've brought in in, in May and Lever started to show something behind the ball. I think Petraka uh, exploded this year in a way we were all hoping that he would. Clayton Oliver, after an ordinary start, figured it out and is still now progressing to be a wonderful midfielder. Jack Viney, all the talk was around his preseason, and and Max Gorn, as we were speaking about you know, is a real difference maker. And when he was in the team this year, he did some extraordinary things, particularly behind the ball. Um, you know, I, I now look at that Jesse Hogan trade, you know, and, and it, he's clearly a complicated man, Jesse, but um, it's, it's a real interesting moment for them because when they made that trade, um, you, you could have argued um, that they were going to be okay. Such was the year that Tom McDonald had had. Well, I think clearly they made that trade because they thought, oh, we've got McDonald, we're fine. Got McDonald, we got Wiedemann, and Wiedemann's showing something now as well. Yep. Um, Luke, Jack- Luke Jackson, I like. 
Oh yeah, I mean we'll we, we we won't see the best of him for a couple of years, but he bodies the ball. He looks excellent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the the gap in Melbourne's footy, along with you know, and you spoke about it, but um, their inability to hit a target inside um, fifty was was massive for them there for a little while. But also the fact that that target didn't exist, where Jesse Hogan was tracking so beautifully, and and I was thinking about this the other day, but I remember tweeting out years ago after after he'd won them a game against Richmond with a five goal performance um that that there was this brilliant crop of of young key forwards getting ready to kind of for another era I thought at the time where you know Jeremy Cameron and um and Jesse Hogan and Joe Danaher were all just getting ready to explode Darcy Moore was in the conversation obviously ended up being a terrific key back but he was a forward at the time and um, I just remember thinking, geez, this is this is shaping up really beautifully. And all of them, for one reason or another, are not dominating forward of the ball. Um, but, you know, McDonald has gone from hero to zero, um, essentially, and left, and therefore Hogan's left a gaping hole in that list because, uh, you know, and maybe they'll get there and maybe they'll get there while Petraka's still good enough and, and May's still good enough and Lever's still good enough and, and all these guys, but um, you know, it's it now depends on a bit of development from um, Jackson to support Wiedemann, who's probably not your number one guy forward of the ball. Um, no, he's a classic so, third forward, isn't he? He is a very, a very, very good one. Be, yeah, it could be could be a very good one, but he's you know he's that guy that you can see another club investing really heavily in um, to be the number one guy and 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 not being able to carry that weight. Um, but yeah, it's they're they're interesting because yeah, the Hogan trade now looks looks catastrophic. Yeah, I, I'm 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 I I don't know about I'm not as even at this stage I'm not as I'm probably not as critical of the Hogan trade as 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 you are. But but we shall see. Maybe I I think I think they'll be fine. So. I think it's a past year for Melbourne. They, they missed the finals because they they lost to Sydney and Fremantle on the way home. If they Absolutely. win one of those, they win one of those games. They make finals, but you know, there's a lot of those. So wheels and roundabouts. Let's quickly talk about the first week of finals. We've got the Thursday night game is Port Adelaide versus Geelong at the Adelaide Oval. I've sort of already telegraphed my thoughts on this game, but who will win and why, Cameron McDonald? Uh, oh, you there? Yep. yep. Um, my um, my AirPod just cut out. You can uh, watermark the 11-hour um, uh, mark to um, <laughs> <laughs> when I switched back to my handset. Um, yeah, so it, it, I think it shapes as a, an excellent game. Um if you if it's played four or five weeks ago, I think most people are tipping the cats, um, who have done so much right, and you know, you know, it's they're unlucky that we're sort of talking about them in, in this way, because in this last few weeks, um, they've been able to bring um, Selwood back into the team, Gary Ablett back into the team, um, you know, you know, those guys are going to offer something when the whips are cracking, um, and. They're a team that on paper just has so many good pieces. Um, for a guy like – they've got arguably the two best wingers on form in the whole competition with um, 
Menegola and, and Mitch Duncan, um, you know, excellent two-way runners and guys who um, hit targets and kick goals and um, – They've they've been they've been quite brilliant this year. Um, in a something I wasn't expecting, but then once the season sort of went pear shaped, I wondered whether they did have the pieces and the experience to make something happen. Um, so perhaps they've been managing their list really well. Um, and we'll use the pre-finals by to kind of um, hit Port Adelaide with everything they've got. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise. Um. But the football I saw Port Adelaide play um, this weekend just gone was was tough and physical. Um, it looked every bit like finals footy um, with enough brilliance there um, and the fundamentals to suggest that um, that they'll have a really decent crack at this. Um, don't know if the flag winner comes out of this game, but uh, I think Port will win it narrowly, perhaps by two goals. I, I saw nothing on the weekend that would turn me around from a thought that Port Adelaide are going to win this game. So I think the characteristic of that Collingwood-Port Adelaide game was that Collingwood just had no time. The pressure was forthcoming all the time, and if they could string two handballs together to get someone into space, it just didn't happen. And that was because of Port Adelaide's pressure. So if they can bring that sort of pressure to a final against a team like Geelong, I think that will hold them in very good stead. Um, and, I mean, Port Adelaide defenders to, to take care of Geelong and Tom Hawkins, I think. So, you know, Tom Jonas is in the All-Australian squad, which is none of those, probably one of those, uh, you finished on top of the ladder here, have another one. But, I mean, you could have thrown a blanket over five or six. Did Tom Jonas have a better season than Stephen May? I don't know. Did he have a worse season? I don't know either, you know. But... Um, I, I, Port Adelaide have earned the right to uh, be given favouritism in this game, and I believe they will win. Um, probably, yeah, probably by about three goals. Um, Brisbane and Richmond, we've also touched on. Quick thoughts? I think it's closer than. Um, what does the market suggest, Pano, if you have it there? Um, one. Agency has Richmond a dollar fifty-seven and Brisbane two thirty-five, and the other one I've got up. I don't have a gambling problem. Is <laughs> Richmond a dollar sixty-two and Brisbane two thirty? So yeah, I see it at about. I see it about a dollar seventy and two ten. I think it's closer. I think Richmond are rightly favourites, but I still haven't seen their best footy and I think in similar fashion to um yeah to what we were speaking about um with the Giants and just kind of expecting it because they were the Giants I kind of expect it because they're Richmond um but where this time last year it was uh convincingly Richmond versus everybody else um I don't necessarily feel that way this year, um, not to mention the, the curveballs that 2020 has thrown up constantly. Um, I think Tom Lynch is a fairly key piece. I don't think Rewalt can do it by himself. Um, I think Dusty uh, is obviously a gem, but I don't, like where this time last year he was making a Brownlow run um, and probably leaving it a little bit too late. That hasn't been this year. 
So he's had a couple of absolutely blitzing games and he's had some just fine games for mine. So it's whether it's whether Richmond are uh, sort of Brisbane from the early 2000s where they just save the best for the finals and they're going to turn up and get it done now. Um, and, and I, you know, I think they've earned the trust that we're probably both going to put in them to say that they'll win the game. Um, but I've got, I've got a lot of confidence um, in Brisbane and in Fagan um, that they can improve and certainly win one final this year. Um, so I think it'll be tight. And I think if Brisbane um, can blitz early, like we spoke about, they can put a lot of pressure on um, kicking straight. Richmond by, Richmond by two goals again. Fair enough. I don't think it's a disaster for Richmond if they get beat here. Um, in fact, it might be just a little kick in the pants they might need that they didn't get two years ago um, in the first week of the finals. Um, when they played a Hawthorne team, you know, were probably you know above their station. Um, you know, considering everything I've just said, I still think Richmond will win. So, but I'm probably moving more to a single figure margin, and. This game will probably be the spectacle of the round. Um, from a scoreboard point of view, the Gabba probably won't lend itself to... I mean, it, it might get even more dour in a final than it has been in the past. So those are the two qualifying finals. The two elimination finals are on the Saturday. Sakilda versus the Western Bulldogs. I'll, uh, I'll give you the floor, Cameron, because I'm... I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't have any objective thoughts on this game. A <laughs> um, little bit of oil and water, oil and water in this game. Um, uh, the, the best football that both of these teams have played um, is good enough to win a final. Um, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting game, um, and and probably the one that I'll. F- I mean, I'll obviously feel excited to watch the Collingwood. Um, game, but I'll, I'll feel some genuine excitement to watch um, St Kilda back in the finals and and two um, two Melbourne teams going at it, um, two teams that um, you know have have similarly like checkered histories. The Dogs have obviously had their day in the sun recently, but you know you spoke about them earlier. They've they've been a a good dogged fighting team and everyone's second favourite team for a long time and. Um, you know, I feel similarly about the Saints or have done over the journey. Um, I like seeing them getting a, get a little run on. and um, Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting game. I, 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 think, it's, I think it's um, six or one half a dozen of the other. The line here is three and a half points. I think that's about right. Um, I, don't, I actually think whichever team gets the upper hand here will we'll pull away in the last quarter and... Um, and and win the game by four or five goals because both teams are susceptible to a bit of a run. Um, but I I couldn't tell you who that's going to be. Um, uh, the Saints have probably been a a, a, a more consistent uh, team over the year. But then I also heard someone say that the Dogs have beaten um, all the teams below them. Um, just about, and and lost to all the teams above them. So, if so you, the uh, worst record in the top eight amongst the top eight teams, they have one win from seven games. That was against West Coast a few weeks ago. There so, you go. 
and they they just scraped home to win that one too. Although it was um, it was a great little finish. Um, I was leaning I was leaning towards the dogs based on the last five or six weeks of footy. Um, in, the, in much the same way that I'm leaning towards Port over Geelong based on the last five or six weeks of footy. Um, but it's, it's, the, it's the most evenly matched um, of the finals um, and, and the one I'm going to find it hardest to call. Um, but I don't, think, I don't think it'll be close. I'm not sure why and I don't know who's going to win. <laughs> what, an, what an excellent um, bit of analysis. Thank you. That, that's, that's most helpful. Oh, uh, gosh. Let's move on to West Coast Collingwood. My prediction is football. Oh, you're not, gonna you're be not even... Football's... No, I'm just moving on. Uh, West Coast <laughs> Collingwood is... Football's going to be the winner, and you're not getting a prediction out of me. You can stick it up your jumper. Um, no. Um, look, I'm... I'm it, it's, it's a feeling that I think a lot, myself, and I can speak for a lot of St. Kilda supporters, that, you know, has been missing. You know, it's it's... Our most sustained period of success in a long time, followed by, you know, a, a nine-year drought from finals, which is our longest drought in f- from finals since the '80s. So, um, it's very good to be back. Um, I've probably been saying for about two months that our realistic aim for the year is to win a final. I think semi-final round would be pretty good work for the year. Um, it's going to be. It's. I, I mean, I think. I think the game will be in in doubt at three quarter time, and then after that, I don't know what happens. But I mean, I, I just hope the boys get up and we get to have another week of footy. St Kilda have played one game and one game only in their history in October, and that was the grand final replay in 2010. <laughs> Speaking of the grand final replay in 2010, that game was won by Collingwood, and they're playing West Coast in Perth. Um, I'll I'll come off the long run first here, well, because obviously your your team is in this game. Um, I think this is going to be a real arm wrestle. Um, these are the sort of these are the sort of games that Collingwood live for under Nathan Buckley, and you know the backs of the wall get on the get on the road, and, and then before that with Mick Malthouse, there's you know Collingwood have had a very very good record compared to other Victorian clubs going into state playing finals. Um, where I haven't already, They haven't always necessarily won, but there's been very few. You know, we've seen a few performances like Essendon in the last few years, and uh, I think North Melbourne went into state and dropped a couple by large margins. I think they won a couple too, but um, that just hasn't happened for Collingwood. Where they have got on the road in a final, and Melbourne a couple of years ago, another team that, did, you know, had a terrible final interstate, but it just hasn't been Collingwood. So I feel that this is one of those ones where where we hit what would have been the good old-fashioned five-minute warning on Channel 10. Um, there'll be less than a goal in it. Um, it's it's hard, it's hard to stick your neck out and pick the pies, though, um, because Collingwood, uh, because West Coast have got, you know, able to go, they've gone back home. Um, they looked untouchable in Perth for that middle part of the season when they were playing there, you know, it seems a significant home grand advantage. You know, it's not like Queensland where you can, you know, do your two weeks and then hit the nightclubs <laughs> like you can in Gold Coast. Um, and where, where you're, in, you're in the hub and you go out and play and you go back to the hub. So um, 
West Coast without any great without any great uh, confidence, but I'll be barracking for Collingwood. I've taken a lot of heart out of what you've just said there because I think you're right. And historically, we have uh, enjoyed contests like this and loved a game that we, in inverted commas, couldn't win. Um, uh, but uh, I'm a realist, and we, um, since you know, since the last time we spoke, I think we're probably, you know, there, there's been some. If I'm looking optimistically at it, we've brought some blokes back into the team of late that uh, have the ability to do um, some real damage. Um, Trelaw evens up a really tough midfield battle against a really, really good West Coast midfield that always seemed to brain us, but we need our best players running through there and playing well. Um, and Dugowie's, uh performance against the Gold Coast Suns, did you happen to watch it? I didn't see much of that game. Um, he 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 was it. He won that game. There was a couple of boys in our back line that played really well, um, but he, he was superb. Like he he plays a different kind of football, a little bit similar to Martin, where there, there's sometimes there's forty five odd guys in in the ruck, uh, you know, and just like moving the ball up and you know, like moving the ball up and down the ground in, in a scrum kind of formation. And Dugowie just picks it up and kicks it through the sticks. And it's like, it's so simple, but it's um, it's devastating when he's at his best. So um, he's he's very, very handy to have back in. Um, but we don't get steel side bottom back. Um, and and that, I think, would have been another element of class that, that we'll be missing. We, it sort of ended up being the kind of year where um, this back end where our form's been stacking up and been okay, um, where our worst four or five players um, and they rotate, we've used 40 players this year, which is insane. Mm. Um, but those those four or five guys floating through those the bottom, bottom five or six uh, on the list um, are costing us. There were moments, you know, in, in – um, yesterday's game where Tyler Brown, who I think will get there, um, was the guy taking that kick inside 50 instead of still side bottom, for example. Um, so it's always good to get the cavalry back. And Nathan Buckley said as much, you know, we've got a one-in-one-out policy, but when you when you use 40 blokes, it's bound to wear a little bit thin. Um, and I think it'll wear a little bit thin. So the realist in me says that um, – so it, the the odds have it about right, and it'll be something more akin to what um, what West Coast were able to do to us um, back in round eight or whenever it was. And that was uh, they destroyed us that day with basically perfect footy, and there's been no clearer indication, better home ground in advantage than West Coast this year. If the if they had made the decision to play the grand final in Perth, I think West Coast win the grand final from fifth. Um, it's that clear. They, they went on like an eight-game winning streak and were superb every time they played at home and away they've been bog standard. So had they not played any finals in Perth, I think we probably could have beaten them in Brisbane. Um, I think um, this will be a year. What I will say about both the elimination finals is this will be a year where that 80% um, collects um, with regard to the losers of the qualifying finals, I think win the semifinals. Mm. Um, and I think they win them convincingly. Uh, 
I think there's that those top four sides have separated themselves and West Coast only belongs in that top four sides if it's being played in Perth. So West Coast for me. Um, and if i got to stick my neck out, I'll say the dogs in the other one. And then I think both of them get beat the following week. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, much to look forward to. We should do this again in grand final week. Don't you agree? Sounds good. No worries. Well, we're... We're, we're nearing two hours, so if you've stuck through it, um, congratulations. Um, you stuck through AFL player ratings, brown lows, and who wins what week and all that sort of stuff, and now, you know, the ladder predictor on and the ladder <laughs> assessor going tits up, but it's been good fun. Um, Cameron, always a pleasure. You're a legend, punter. No worries, and we'll catch you next time on the podcast. It should go without saying. Thanks.